A couple, uh, well, actually, it's been several Wednesdays ago, uh, had the privilege of pastor asking that I speak, and it was soon after the October 7th horrendous attacks on Israel. And I did a message at that time of why does Satan hate Israel? And this is kind of a continuation of that idea. And actually, one of the main reasons Satan hates Israel not is not so much because of Israel's past, but there is something about Israel's future that is a very big threat to Satan. And if he can stop that from happening, then I guess that's one of the things that he can continue to attack and attack and attack. We know that what Jesus did on the cross has doomed him. But you know, there are a lot that don't mind taking as many as they can to their doom. And Satan is, I'm certain, willing to do that. And so in order to be able to do that, we have to understand something about the context of the Bible. These words that Jesus said as a model for prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, are sometimes misinterpreted as being in or, or taken out of the context. You know, context is really important when we read our Bible. I know when it comes to all other kinds of subjects, we, we like to have the context of what's happening. If somebody says they said something, then we like to know the context of them saying that before we jump to conclusions, right? One time I, I lost a fin as we were swimming at Passa Grill. And I lost one of my swim fins, and I was going in a circle and kind of figured it out. What happened to my swim fin? Well, they kind of float. So I started walking around in the shallows looking for my swim fin. And there was a man who, after I looked and looked and looked, there was a man also there, and I asked him, have you seen a fin? Did you see a fin? Now, when you're out in the salt water and you ask that question to somebody, they automatically jump to some kind of conclusion that you're talking about a shark. Well, right then, I saw my swim fin just behind him. So I said, there it is, and pointed behind him. His eyes got really big, and he turned suddenly around, and I realized my mistake. We were not in the right context. I was talking about a swim fin. He was thinking about a shark. You know, if you saw an ad in the paper that said, Civil War veterans, come to the nearest post office, U.S. post office, and collect your $25,000. And if you ran down to the post office and stood at the counter for three hours, whatever it takes, and there, when you got to the counter, you said, I need my $25,000. You're claiming a promise that wasn't made to you. It says Civil War veterans. Do you know that there are some people who use their Bible or take their Bible and take promises out of context in the Bible and claim them when they aren't made to them? They aren't promises made to them. That's what context is all about. It really keeps us from disappointment. And there's more than one believer in Christ that has become disappointed because they didn't think God kept his promises that he never made to them. And they throw in the towel and they say, the baby with the bathwater, and say, I don't want anything to do with this God because he doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. And what might be the problem is that you're taking something out of its context 
and claiming it for yourself. Israel looks right now, surrounded as we heard in the prayer, surrounded by its enemies. It, it is about the size of New Jersey, and yet it has so many that are sworn to its destruction, and you wonder how in the world could it ever survive. I want to show you something in the Bible about its future. It says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, when Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar II's dream, it's a metallic statue, and he sees a head of gold, and he sees the arms and chest of silver. He sees the, the, the belly of brass and the legs of iron and the feet of clay and iron. And then a stone, it says, not cut out by hands. A stone comes and strikes the feet of the statue, and it's like chaff in the wind. It disintegrates and is blown away. That stone, it says in chapter 2, verse 44, and, they, and in the days of these kings, which would be the Gentile king, the God of heaven, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. What's happening is when we talk about the kingdom coming, when we talk about thy kingdom come, it's that kingdom. It is not the next world power. It is not the next Gentile empire. It is not the next United States. Thy kingdom come is talking about a kingdom God sets up here on earth. When it says the God of heaven set up a kingdom, it doesn't say the God of heaven set up a kingdom in heaven. He already has that. What is not here is a kingdom from God or of God on earth. And so what this is talking about is a kingdom that God sets up. And there are other places that we're going to learn next week about how Israel is at the center of that kingdom. And thus, that's why Satan hates Israel. That's one of the things in the future he would like to avoid, right? Because think about it. The scepter of power has been in the Gentile nations ever since Nebuchadnezzar II. The scepter of power has been a Gentile ruling over Israel and all those years and years of the Roman Empire and then it's no Israel at all until 1948, May 14th, just recently in our history, that there became a nation of Israel again, and yet it's just always surrounded by its enemies, always on the brink of destruction. One day, the scepter of power will be taken from the Gentile nations, and it will be handed to Israel. And Satan hates that, because he is the God of this world until that moment. And the God of heaven sets up his kingdom. We need to know a little bit about how God operates in the Bible. It says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, it's interesting because some people have tried to speculate. What does it mean to rightly divide the word of truth? I mean, I can see rightly read it, rightly understand it, rightly, but rightly divide it. And some people have come to the conclusion that it could be talking about how, although we have only one Bible, we have one revelation from God, it appears that it is divided into segments. Now, of course, you recognize that with the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
right? We, we, we have no problem with that concept that the Bible is not uh, homogenous as, that, as far as that goes in a lot of ways. There are a lot of differences depending on where you're reading in the Bible. Now, whatever it means, this rightly dividing the word, it's very important. Notice what it said in 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself. It takes study. It is not something that, that necessarily... If you are the kind of person that when it comes to the Bible, all you do is take what people tell you about the Bible, but not look in it yourself and not look at the whole picture. You're always looking at a tree. But you never see the forest. If that's the way you approach the Bible, you need to get a little more specialized in the coming year. That's a great resolution. In the coming year, to study your Bible, maybe in a different way. In this sense of looking at the big picture about it. That's what I hope tonight we're going to be able to do. Because the kingdom is just one of those segments. The coming kingdom is a future segment. Do you know it says also, it's important, it takes study, it brings God's stamp of approval. A workman that, not, that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It qualifies us as skilled in handling the scriptures. <coughs> Excuse me. And it saves us from shame. I mean, that kind of shame that claiming something God never promised you. Making your spiritual life, making what you're going to do for this coming year based on something that God has not said that you and your segment of history have been promised. Well, if you're wondering, okay, what does that mean? How does that work? Well, to divide the word of truth could refer to the fact that the scriptures are in segments, recognizing these segments, seeing when they start, when they finish, seeing how they can be similar to each other. For instance, I see one theme running all the way through the Bible that to go to heaven, to be saved, to be forgiven of our sins is never by works. <laughs> you cannot say in, in the beginning of the Bible that Abraham was saved by works, but now we're saved by grace. When it says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. Abraham was saved by faith just like we are today. Now, the promise that he believed in is different from the promise we believe in. I don't think Abraham understood the cross. I don't think, I don't know if he saw all that in Genesis chapter 15. I don't know if he understood about what Jesus was going to do. But I do understand this. He promised that the world would be blessed through his descendants and that he would have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. And he looked up to heaven and he believed the Lord. And you know, we know Abraham wasn't a perfect man, but God looked at that faith and counted him as righteous in his eyes. That's the same way we're saved today. I don't see the cross. I don't see the empty tomb. I don't see the wounds. I don't see Jesus. I don't see anything, but I hear his promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I believe it. That is why I'm saved. The same way Abraham was. So when I talk about these segments that are in the Bible, do not make the mistake that we're talking about. Oh, back then they were saved one way. Today we're saved this way. We have these, these dispensational truths, these segment truths 
that extend through all of them. And that's important to know. All right. The divisions are called dispensations. Now, when we talk about dispensations, it's about administrations. Right now, President Biden has a certain, you could say, administration method. And the president that was before him, President Trump, he had his administration method. Are they different? You know, that fact is that we have the same country and the same constitution and the same people and the same, all these things, and yet it can be very different depending who is running the administration. All right. Now, that can be confusing because you may think I'm talking about many gods. I'm only talking about one god. But it appears that God in human history has decided that at different times of human history, he will administer what he wants in different ways. What he wants for mankind in different ways will be administered. Now, this is not complicated, folks. Almost everybody here can recognize that we are not in the Garden of Eden anymore. I mean, it would be nice. It would be nice. It would be nice that that was my job every day, to go out and take care of a garden. And I didn't have any weeds, didn't have any insects bothering me, I didn't have any heat, I didn't have all this stuff that was going on today if you try to garden. In fact, anything that I try to grow is automatically doomed. Okay, so you recognize that things are different today. That's all we're talking about. That God has chosen, and by the way, these different administrations of his, these different dispensations, they have a purpose in his mind. He has something he wants to reveal about his character in each one. You know, in the first one, he's going to reveal his creative power. In the second one, he's going to reveal that even without the law being written down, we have a witness right inside of us about what's good and what's bad. In each case, he's going to reveal something about him. And in one of them, he reveals his holiness. And that's what it's about, his holiness. God is holy. And another one, which I'm so glad I live in, he reveals his grace, his kindness. One day, in this kingdom that comes, He's going to reveal righteousness and peace. It's going to be characterized by those things. So each has a purpose. Careful study of the Bible reveals one God has chosen to implement over time at least five dis distinct administrations over mankind. The five apparent ones. In other words, people get a different list of these. But I can see five apparent ones. The dispensation of innocence. So when I read in my Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 3, I am reading of that segment in human history where God dealt with people in a certain way, and it's not exactly the same way that he deals with us today. Now, nobody has any problem with that. I mean, there are people in the land of lakes and loots that do have a problem with it because they still think that God is okay with us walking around without clothes. But obviously, we know that's not the way it's supposed to be now. We all instinctively recognize that's not God's way of administrating things right now. When I read in my Bible from Genesis chapter 3, or the, the fall, to Exodus chapter 20, I'm in a dispensation called the dispensation of conscience. This extends through the flood of Noah's time and the world right after that, up until Israel receives the written law of God. And during the dispensation of the conscience, <clears throat> we can see that people are held accountable still to God. Else, why was there a flood? 
I mean, if they were not, because they didn't have the Ten Commandments and they didn't have the Law of Moses, if they were not going to be held accountable because they didn't have it written down someplace, then what kind of God would destroy them all? It must be they were held accountable because it was written someplace, but not where you could see it. It was written in their minds. And we call it conscience. It's still there. It can be all kinds of bad things we can do to it. Eventually, it can be practically silenced completely in people, and we see that happening. But there's everybody in this, everybody in this room has to be able to say, I know, and it's not the Holy Spirit, because I had this before I even got saved, that when I did something bad, I knew it was bad. I can remember, and kind of my dad was my conscience for a long time, he was a school teacher. And you know, when, when, when he was driving up in the driveway and I had buried the hose in the backyard and I couldn't get it out anymore and I knew I was in trouble for this, that, and the other thing, in that, that way that was my conscience, I go hide. And so there's a time period when you read your Bible about the world before the flood. So, you know, you go Genesis uh, 4, Genesis 5, Genesis 6, up to the time of the flood. And Exodus 20, the dismissation of the law. When God gave the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses to Israel, he did something special for the world, but especially for Israel, he says, I'm going to write down my definition of what's right and wrong and let you know how that sinners can approach me. And so he gave more than just the law, because we often think that's all it was, Ten Commandments and a bunch of other commandments. Starting in Exodus chapter 24, after giving the Ten Commandments and the law, he says, now, take an offering, get the gold and stuff like that that you brought out of Egypt. I want you to make me a tabernacle. And in the picture of the tabernacle, we see how sinners who break his laws can still approach a holy, righteous God. So here's a dispensation that's different from the others. It's actually written down, and it goes from Exodus all the way to the Gospel of John in the cross of Christ. Now, you might be thinking, well, I thought it went to the birth of Jesus. No, Jesus, it says in Galatians, was born under the law. Jesus was raised under the law. Jesus lived under the law. He died under the law of Moses. He was all in that dispensation. dispensation. He was in that segment of the Bible history. And what we call the one we live in, the dispensation of the church or the dispensation of grace, it started at Pentecost. It started when the Holy Spirit came and indwelt believers for the first time without leaving them. And it goes into the rapture, which could be right here before I finish the next sentence. In other words, this dispensation at any moment could end. And so we are, we are living in a, in a special time. When you read Acts, starting in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and you go into, after that, you know, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and you read all the way to Revelation, and you go to Revelation 1, Revelation 2, Revelation 3. At the end of Revelation 3, the church isn't mentioned until at the very end of the book of Revelation. From that time period on, you've left our dispensation. From Revelation 3, on it's a different time period well and you might be thinking well does that mean i can only read since i'm in the dispensation of the church i should only read 
from, from uh, Acts 2 to Revelation 3? Of course not. There are a lot of things that I can learn about the God who has saved me by just listening and reading parts of the Bible of how he dealt with other people. Do you know I learned a lot about people by just standing next to them while they talk to somebody else? Have you ever done that? He's like, oh, oh. And you're eavesdropping, all right? You're, you're just there, and they know you're there, and they're talking, and you hear, you know they're not talking to you. But you learn as you listen. So when God talked to Israel, when he made promises to Israel, when he's faithful to Israel, when he keeps his word to anybody in the Bible, that's my God. And so I learn about him through all the Bible. All the Bible is profitable. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into every good work. Listen, none of this means that a part of your Bible is not important. All it means is that when you read your Bible, it's important not to mistake that God's talking to you. You're listening in to him talking to somebody else. So if you go out after listening, reading in the book of Exodus about, or Leviticus, about all those sacrifices that Israel is supposed to bring, and you start getting lambs from the local farm and sacrificing them in your backyard, what you've done is you thought God was talking to you. And you know that's silly, and then everybody here knows he wasn't talking to me. That was to Israel. That's all we're talking about. But do you know there are a lot of things that we can go astray when we read our Bibles and we don't think of the context in this way about what God is saying. There's one more, and that's the dispensation of the kingdom. Eventually, God, as we saw in the first verse in, uh, in Daniel chapter 2, that God is going to set up a kingdom here on earth, and it's not people setting it up. It's not us getting the world ready for it. It's not us going out. You see, I grew up, you can tell by the way I'm talking, I grew up in a mainline denomination. And when I was growing up, we wanted to get the world ready for the kingdom. We wanted Christ to look down from heaven and say, you know what, they brought a lot of peace here. They brought a lot of, a lot of goodness down there. I think I'm ready to come now, too. That's not the way the kingdom is going to be set up. You see, they would give us little cans with slots in the top, and we didn't go out and collect for missionaries. We went out and collected for UNICEF, for United Nations. I went to my neighborhood in Dunedin, where I grew up, collecting for the United Nations, and my church sent me out to do that because their idea was that the church brings Christ. It's a kingdom, it says, set up by God not by people. All right, so that, that, that's from the book of Revelation uh, to the, um, the revelation of Christ, and that means the, the return of Christ all the way to earth here to set up his kingdom to the great white throne judgment. We're going to learn more about that next week, all right? Now, the three of these dispensations are in the past. Which ones? Well, the dispensation of innocence, definitely. Dispensation of conscience. Now we have God's, you know, laws written down. The dip, dip, dispensation of the law, that's in the past. What's, what do we live in? Well, we live in one of the dispensations, the dispensation of the church. But there's one of the five that we talked about that is in the future. Which one is that? The kingdom. And again, why does Satan hate Israel? Because that kingdom is going to be centered in Israel. 
Okay, so here's the last thing we're going to do this evening. Just a little, see how well you were listening. On your sheet, you could do this. Let's put I in the blank if the dispensation that's re, uh, described in this, this verse is talking about the dispensation of innocence. If it's the conscience, put CL. If it's law, put L. If it's kingdom, put K. All right, look at 2 Chronicles with me. Chapter 7, in verse 14. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, and it should be by my name, not just name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their, heal their land. Which dispensation is this referring to? Under the dispensation of law. So, this is not complicated. I'll put an L on the blank for law. Now, I remember, everybody remember President Reagan quoting this at one of his inaugural speeches? Or do I just date myself too much there that I even can remember that? Okay. I remember he said that, and at the time, I even knew. Wait a second. And this is very common. This is what America needs to do. America needs to uh, humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways, and then God will hear from heaven and forgive our sins and heal our land. Now, there is a principle here I'm not saying cannot be applied to every country, but in its context, it's not talking to the United States. Listen to it. If my people, who's who? Who are the people of God? The Jews, right? Which are called by my name. You know, Israel. You know what the E-L stands for? Yes, God. If you have Jah in your name, like Joshua, that has the personal name of God, Jehovah, in your name. It means Jehovah's Savior. If you have E-L in your name, like Samuel, Daniel, Israel, it is the office of God. The title that he has is God in your name. All right, so he says, if they will humble themselves, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. This is interesting because if Israel did not obey God's revealed laws to them, the way that they were punished was, very materially. In other words, it stopped raining. <laughs> Bad things happened to them. As far as the environment goes, drought, famine, all these things would happen until they finally said, wait a second. You know what? Maybe worshiping idols is not the best path for our nation, since we know better. And then God says, if you seek me, by the way, he's speaking to Solomon here. You tell the people, if they seek me and they pray and they turn from their wicked ways, I will cause the rains to return. I will cause the famines to decrease. I will. It's very material. They knew exactly when God was chastening them and on, you know, when they were off track. I have a harder time doing that. I have a harder time because I read in my New Testament and the Apostle Paul went through all kinds of trials and tr troubles and difficulties in life. Things went wrong with him I don't know, you look at his list sometime in Corinthians. Of all the bad things that ever happened to him, was he out of God's will? He was right in the middle of what God wanted him to do. You see, we're talking about different dispensations. We're talking about if you look at the bad things that happened in your life and you think, God's mad at me 
You must be thinking you're living under the law or that you're Israel. Because that's not the way he deals with us. Look at the example of God's servants in the New Testament and see how much they suffered. All right, how about this one? First Chronicles 4.10. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, enlarge my coast, and that thine hand be, might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. How many have ever heard of the prayer of Jabez? Have you ever read the book? Have you ever seen the book? It's sold by the millions. And there are so many people in this dispensation that use that as a model of prayer. And the problem is, Jabez didn't live in the church age. Jabez was a Jew. He lived in Israel. So I'm sorry, I'm giving something away. What dispensation is this? Dispensation of the law. You see, he called on the God of Israel. And it says, thou wouldest bless me and enlarge my coast. You know what that means? Coast literally means border. You know when God gave Joshua and the children of Israel the land, it says on purpose he didn't give them all of it at once? He says, I'm not going to give you all the land at once because it will depopulate things after wild animals get in there and all that. I'm going to give you piece by piece. And this is what Jabez is praying. He says, God, I know there's more for my family than what I have. And I would like you to enlarge my border, borders. He's actually literally talking about, I need more land. Now, if I were to do that today, and I look at my yard, I have a third of an acre. God, I want half an acre. And I can claim half an acre because that's what Jabez did, and you gave it to him. You see, I'm in the wrong dispensation. And I'm basing my prayer life on it. Because people look at that last part, God granted what he requested. Well, that's a, isn't that a good reason to do the same thing he did? Well, not out of its context. Look at this next one, Genesis 4.12. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Who's this being spoken to? Anybody know? Cain. After he killed whom? Abel. And do you notice? He doesn't get the death penalty. So, what, what dispensation is this? Conscience. And that kind of thing where God didn't punish Cain with the death penalty. Instead, look at his punishment class. I mean, congregation, I'm sorry. Look at his punishment. You have to go wander around. You're a fugitive. Uh, and also, when you till the ground, uh, it's not going to be easy. That's his punishment for murdering his brother? I mean, how many look at that and say, what kind of liberal judge just turned him loose? But do you understand? You're talking about a different dispensation, the dispensation of conscience. And the reason that I say that, because look at what it says. Oh, no, don't look at that. Exodus 21, 12 says, he that smiteth a man so that he dies shall be surely put to death. What? Does that seem like a contradiction? How come Cain got to go and be a fugitive? By the way, did he cry about that? Oh, it was too much. <laughs> Good thing he didn't live under the law. God makes it clear in the law, thou shalt not kill. And now, if people do that, they lose their lives. Now, you think, contradiction? No. The thing that explains that is you're talking about a different dispensation. God is dealing with people differently. 
same God, and but he has his own purpose. So what is that? Uh, what? The law. And by the way, I'm not going to be able to finish this. So you take that piece of paper and you look at those verses and you decide the rest of the way. I don't want to leave anybody worried. Oh, wow. He's only done five out of 15. The rest is up to you. But let's just end with number five. Genesis 2.15. And the Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. The dispensation of innocence. You know, that's interesting that it says he put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. I guess to dress it means to prune it. I don't know, all right? To take care of the plant. To keep it, I always thought the word keep meant guarding. You know, keep to guard. If it's possible, if that means to keep it means to guard it, that was one of Adam and Eve's jobs, to guard it. They didn't do a good job. Because who came in? And who didn't recognize them? Adam and Eve. But that's the just a start. And before congregation, we can talk about the kingdom. We have to realize how different it's going to be. Well, innocence is different from conscience. It's different from law. It's different from the church. You can expect the kingdom is going to be very different. And it's not going to be something that we just create here. If you have any questions, come up afterwards. I'll be glad to... Uh, run out the other way. Now, actually, there's, there's a lot about this that is controversial. Uh, and I don't want you to misunderstand that I'm saying only one part of the Bible is important. There are people who take what I've said tonight and they say the only person you should ever read is Paul. And the letter's written by Paul. That they're the only ones that ever apply to us. They go narrower and narrower in their part of the Bible that they say that's the only part you can teach and the only part that you need, you can just throw away the rest. That's completely untrue. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this time tonight. We do pray for Pastor, that you would be with him and bless his, uh, he and his family and their uh, time of refreshment. I also pray for Angelina, that junior high student, her family. The Abdallahs need your special, special help. These holidays have been anything but for them. We ask you, Lord, to help them, strengthen them. Lord, their hearts are aching. Help Angelina make some progress that they can see your hand in. And Lord, now we bless, uh, bless our trip home in Jesus' name. Amen.